Bokartov, we are continuing Melachim Bet, we're on chapter 13, and we are in the reign of Amatziah, king of Yehuda, but really we're focused on the Israelite kings, we're in the reign of Yehoash, son of Yehoahaz, from the line of Israel, and Yehoash is the one who fulfills the prophecy that they will beat down Aram, okay? And although Chazael from Aram was, uh, it was prophecy that he would succeed in doing much damage to Israel, Chazael's son, Ben-Hadad, does not have that prophecy. And Yehoash is going to be successful in putting down that rebellion before uh, that, uh, that, um, that kingdom. Now, before... Before Elisha Hanabi dies, he has one last prophecy for, it was for Yehoash, right? Yeah, Yes. for Yehoash. And he basically told him to have, to take a, a bow and take arrows and point them eastward and hit them to the ground. I'm assuming shoot them to the ground. And that represents his ability to defeat Aram who was in the east and Although Yoash does follow the instructions, he does not um, shoot many arrows. He only shoots three. And Elisha tells him, because of that, your victory won't be complete. Then Elisha dies uh, and they buried him. And then it was a thing that the Mo- there were Moabite clans that would come and they would like come into the cities of Israel every so often. And it was at one point after Elisha was already buried in his cave that the people were burying a man and then they saw one of these Moabite clans that were coming, these like invaders or marauders. And they got very scared, so they threw the man into the cave of Elisha. Then the man got up, he stood up on his feet. Okay, we, we, we discussed multiple opinions on what exactly happened. Was this guy a tzaddik, a shalom ben tikva, husband of Huldah Hanviyah? And was he getting paid back for giving water to all the people who would come to the city? Or was this man a rasha, and the whole point of him getting up and walking was not that he came back alive, but rather that he just, they didn't want a rasha to be in the cave of Elisha, so he got up on his feet, walked to his, another burial spot, and dropped dead again. However, um, this follows a common theme in Melachim, where they're sh- telling us this story, even though it's a very odd story, right? to prove um, the nevoah of... Uh, and, this, and that, this whole discussion goes into the thing of whenever Elisha saw Eliyahu was dying, he said, give me a double portion. And we're trying to understand what exactly that double portion is that Elisha got from Eliyahu. So the main opinion is that this double portion is the idea that while Eliyahu brought one person back to life, Elisha was supposed to bring two people back to life. And then this whole discussion about this guy dying and, and getting thrown into his cave fits into that discussion of, how you see Elisha's double portion over Eliyahu. Um, and <coughs> according to the opinion that it was a tzaddik who Mamash came back to life and even had more kids, then you can say, okay, he brought this guy Shalom ben Tikva back to life. And that's it. That was the double portion. He brought two people back to life. According to the opinion that it was Rasha, who they, he simply got on his feet and dropped dead somewhere else. Where do we see Elisha brought the second person back to life? That was whenever he um, took away the, the tsara'at of Naaman, okay. uh, the, the general Naaman, okay? 
so that's kind of the whole discussion that we had about these psukim. Now we're going to go back to the discussions of Chaza of uh, Aram and Israel. Okay, so Pasuk Kafbet. Vachazael Melech Aram Lachasat Israel Kol Yemei Yeho Achaz. Chazael, king of Aram, he pressured Israel all the days of Yeho Achaz. As we know, because Yehoahaz is not the one who's going to end up winning, it's, it's going to be Yehoash. But God had felt, dealt kindly towards them and he had mercy on them. And he turned to the Israelites because of his covenant at Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, because of his covenant with Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And he did not send them from before his face until now. Meaning, despite the fact that there was pressure from Aram all the days of, of uh, Yehoahaz, God did not destroy Israel uh, because of the covenant that he, had, that he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov, their forefathers. Pasuk of Dalit. Then Chazael dies. And then Benadad, his son, comes up in his stead. Which is good, because as we, as we remember, Chazael was given kingship over Aram with a nevoah, which gave him extra, extra strength. Benadad is just a son. So if they're going to be a, a pushback against this pressure, it's going to happen in the lifetime of Benadad. Then Yehoash came, the son of Yehoahaz. And he was able to reconquer the cities from Ben-Hadad, son of Chazael. That, he was, that Aram took from Yehoahaz's father in, in war. Three times Yoash struck him and he returned the cities of Israel. So maybe this three times, this three three times is the three arrows that we were referring to. Let's see if anybody says that. I didn't even think to look into that. I'm not sure. Yeah, it says that here? That it's three times. Can I get the three yeah, arrows, Adisha? No, there's no source. It just says... Okay, well, because it's, it's, it's probably obvious. Okay. Yeah. Now we go to chapter 14, okay? And it was in the second year of Yoash, son of Yoachaz, who's having success pushing back against Aram. Now, you have Amatziah, son of Yoash, the king of Yehuda. Remember Yoash? What was the, the Yoash of Yehuda? What was he known for? He was known for rebuilding the Beit HaMikdash. Exactly. He was known for rebuilding the Beit HaMikdash. And then according to Divrei Amim, he um, brought Abu Dazara, and then he killed the Zechariah, the um, son of the Kohen Yehoyada, who was a Navi, and he kind of messed up at the end, and then that's why he was assassinated. If you remember, he was assassinated, right? Yoash was assassinated. So that's Yoash of Yehuda. Now his son Amatiah, is now coming to power in Yehuda. Ben He was 25 years Amatia when he became king. So he did not become, unlike his father Yoash, he didn't become king as a, as a little child. Remember? Yoash was saved and then yes, yes. from Atalia and then he was made king as a child. He said eight, nine years old. Right, something, something like, like that. that. So Amatia comes into kingship at a ripe age of 25. And 29 years he reigned in Yerushalayim. And his mother's name was Yeho Adan. Why we have to know the mother's name? I don't know. Do you have anything on there? I said, uh, I think they have something in there. She states that his before. mother was from Yushalayim in order to differentiate from her from the wicked queen mother, Atalia, who strove my lead for Okay, fine. Saying that she's not from that line. She's not from that line. He's from a clean line. Yeho Adan is his mother. Adin even means uh, soft and nice and good. So it could, could be another uh, um, 
the thing, secondary meaning of the word, of the name. Okay, Pasuk Gimel. He did what was good in the eyes of God, but it wasn't as good as David, his forefather. Everything that Yoash did, which was generally good, Yoash for most of his reign was good. Amatziah was also good for most of his reign. Now we're going to see in the Mepharshim that Amatziah seems to have a very similar uh, reign as compared to Yoash. Meaning, he also, according to the Midrash, messes up at the end, and he also is going to get assassinated at the end, okay? But in the meantime, he is good for now, Amatiyah. He just didn't get rid of the Bamot, which is the typical issue of the kingdoms of Yehuda. The people were still doing Abodazrah to the Bamot, okay? And it was when the kingdom became strong in his hand, he struck those people who assassinated his father, Yoash. Okay? Now, technically, this is within his right. Because, you know, someone kills the king of Israel and they're Hayab Mita. So that was rebellion against the king. So he's fulfilling his king, kingly duty of, of laying down the law as prescribed. Okay? But he did not kill the families and the sons of the people of the assassins. As it says in the Torah, this is a direct quote from our Humash. That sons cannot die because of fathers. And the fathers shall not die, shall not die because of sons. Meaning, the Peshat, is, and this actually goes into an interesting discussion about uh, this Pasuk. So the... The pasuk where is it? In um, somewhere in Devarim, says that fathers shall not die, shall not die because of sons, and sons shall not die because of fathers. So what does that sound like, Peshat? What does the simple meaning of that pasuk sound like? That if the father sins, the king is not allowed to put the son to death on the because of the father's it's sin. Only applies to king. And that's the way. That is the way that Amatziah is applying this to the assassins of his father Yoash. That he's only going to. He's only going to kill the assassins themselves, but he's not going to overpunish them by then killing the assassin's son for something that the father did. Mm-hmm. And that is the justice of the Torah, that you don't do collective punishment. You don't kill the family members of a sinner. You only deal with the sinner himself, okay? That's the Peshat. Now, interestingly, in the Torah Shabbat Peh and in the Gemarot, they learn something else from these Psukim. And that is that a father cannot testify about his son and a son cannot testify about his father meaning that family members are not allowed to be witness to one another's crime i can't come and be used as a witness for someone who's a relative okay and that's where this is the pasuk from which they learn this idea so what's interesting is that the torah the the gemara from these psukim they learn the concept that a, a familial witness is not allowed is not an acceptable witness but if you look at the way he's, Amatia is applying the pasuk, he's applying it in the very simple, like the, the simple understanding of the text, which is, it seems to just be saying that you can't kill the son for the sins of the father. Okay? So it's an interesting discussion about how the, there seems to be, and, and this is a, a much larger discussion that's discussed in the Rishonim. They have discussion in the Gemara? Do they bring this story up or? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the Gemara in so, in so much detail. But um, here. So it's an interesting discussion about 
how a pasuk in the Torah could be interpreted for halakha, but then still maintain a simple understanding that's independent of that halakhic interpretation. Basically, maintains two. It maintains two, two valid interpretations at the same time, and both are applicable. That makes sense. There must be more than one mitzvah that's like this. No, there are a lot. There, there are a lot, lot. Yeah. and it's a lot of because if you look at like Torah Shabbal Peh and the Gemarot that interpret Sukim, very often the Gemara and the interpretation that's accepted the halacha is a little bit almost if you're like objective about it sounds a little bit far fetched compared to the what you would think the simple text means. Yes. And now there's actually a discussion amongst the Rishonim. What happens when you see a Gemara that determines halakha according to the Pasuk and you want to say that the Pasuk has a original meaning as well? Are you allowed to maintain that original meaning? Or do you have to say, well, the second Chachamim understood it la halakha a certain way, that becomes the Jewish, official Jewish interpretation of this and, Pasuk. And the only interpretation. And the only interpretation. So it's a fascinating discussion. Um, it's, it's a discussion in the Rishonim. Mm-hmm. What, to what extent can you have varied interpretations of verses that are all acceptable? Especially when one is already codified la halacha, Okay, But here we see proof to the Rishonim that would say that you could have multiple interpretations. Because we know that the Gemara interprets this pasuk to mean that you can't bear, be witness if you're a family member. That's the Pishat interpretation that they give for this pasuk. But then here we have so a we king have of Israel, king of Israel. Amatiyah, using the verse... To not kill the kids of the ones who assassinated his father. The king of Yehuda, who's obviously right. following halakha. And he's a good king. So yes. he's following. This isn't seen as something necessarily bad. Right? So a very fascinating discussion that's uh, opened up from these verses. I just wanted to introduce you to it. Okay. And he also, Amatia, struck down Edom in Gemelach. Okay, so besides for... Yehoash striking down Aram, Amatziah is striking down Edom. Now, where is Aram relative to Edom? Aram is in the northeast, so and Edom is in the like southeast. Southeast, yeah. yeah. So that's why I think Gemelach is probably near the Dead Sea somewhere because it's a salt. It means the the uh, Valley of Salt. So it must be somewhere in that area, which makes sense because Edom is in the southeast of Israel. Okay. So he strikes down. 10,000 people of Edom in Gemelach with Tafaset Haman. He was able to conquer the rock in war. In Divrei uh, Amim, I think it says this rock was like a very high place. That was a very hard place to conquer, and he was able to conquer this rock. He calls a place Yokteel okay, until this very day. We're going to stop there because now we're going to see a uh, civil war in Israel, wow. which is a civil war that we mentioned before. Remember, we said that. And Yoash died, and all the word, the matters of his life, including the battle that he fought against Amatia, yes, king of yes, Yehuda. Yes, yes. So that's actually the war that we're going to discuss tomorrow. Bazar Hashem, starting on Pasuchet. Okay, Baruch Adonai Amen. Amen.